empowered people make informed decisions that lead to living a life without regret. This is Sarah Kaki and Shauna Woods from Atlanta Divorce Law Group, and this is the Happily Ever After Divorce Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Happily Ever After Divorce Podcast. This is Sarah Kaki with the Atlanta Divorce Law Group, joined by our very own managing partner, Shauna Woods. Shauna, today we are going to talk about different styles of parenting. And I think there's many different lingo out there, you know, helicopter parent, tiger mom, I believe that's a phrase, overparenting. But I think one thing you and I both believe in with every color we have in our lives, main one that you and I share is motherhood. Yes. And we're coming at this from that place, not necessarily as parenting coaches or child psychiatrists or psychologists, just two women professionals in a family law firm who are also happen to be moms and parents. What we really want to hone in and on is the idea of servant leadership in parenting. So before we head there, let's talk about the other styles of parenting. What is a helicopter parent? You know, I don't know if this is the technical term for helicopter parent, but basically when you think of a helicopter parent is a parent who is constantly hovering right around the child in that they don't allow them to really experience childhood in that curiosity way or that way of bumping your own elbows, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I've always said you have to bump your own elbows and scrape your own knees in order to learn not to do that. And a helicopter parent really stops the process, right? Because they they have a bubble around their child and they're making sure that their child has the easiest path possible, mm-hmm. which ultimately results in a person who doesn't know how to navigate the difficult times. Right. So now juxtaposing that with servant leadership. Servant leadership is a phrase you usually hear in uh, business and leadership terms, what does it mean in a very general way? It means giving somebody who are you are responsible um, for their growth, for their development, and helping them produce a certain result in a professional setting, giving them the tools, the resources, and the leadership for them to grow and achieve and contribute to the organization. Um not stopping the process of their growth, just like you just mentioned in helicopter parenting, is one of the biggest lessons of servant leadership. So it means asking a lot of good questions. It means I'm asking them, how can I support you in this versus having the answers versus, oh, you're having a difficulty with this. Don't worry. I'll take it off your hands. I'll take it off your plate. I'll fix it for you. We're both laughing because It's a common tendency amongst us fixers, isn't it? Well, it's a common tendency amongst us fixers. And I also think that when people hear the term servant leadership, they think of it backwards in that we're just supposed to give them the answers. We're supposed to give them the easy way. And, And in fact, it's the opposite. I was thinking in particular about a particular attorney at another firm that was very young and, and would run into my office and ask me the question, and I'd ask him, which statute is he pulling? Yeah. And which, what's his Westlaw password? And if he wants to go discuss what he thinks that means afterwards, I'm welcome, you know, I'm willing to do that. But it is not giving somebody the easy answer. Because what's the point of that? Yes, it's that teaching them how to fish for themselves exactly. process. And servant leadership 
is actually a lot about holding somebody accountable. Because yeah. once you know that you've given them the processes, the infrastructure, you've given them the tools, the resources that you are responsible to them for, then you understand that next step is to hold them accountable to those results. Actually not holding them accountable would be the unkind thing to do because that's when you're stopping their growth. You're stopping their development. It's part of our growth and development is hitting our head and failing, hitting our head and failing and nobody shielding us from that. So are we starting to see the parallels with parenting in this? Absolutely. And it's not as if we're letting our two-year-old run around touch fire. For sure. Right. But we're definitely letting them run around. Right. Right. Well, I think the important part of that also is there is an age where I believe you're 100% responsible for them, right? Where when you have an adult child, if you are running around into the fire, at that point, you are responsible for those consequences. If I've taught you what fire does, if I've given you all the knowledge and all the tools and you're unhealthy, Uh, individual with a healthy mind, you should understand the consequences of that. And that's the part where parenting is possibly obviously different than business because a child has some early phases in life where they don't know the consequences of their actions. So we kind of have to do more of that shielding from the pain as much as we can. But at some point that flips, right? Where we have to let them see the natural consequences. Absolutely. Your youngest is two. I call that the suicide watch. Yes. (laughs) No matter what they're doing, they're doing something that's about to kill themselves. But the the idea of you letting them grow through the pain. Yes. Right. And not protecting them from all of the emotions is so very important, Mm. right? Because if we take on all of the responsibility for their lives, for them making good grades, right? And we see this a lot, is a parent will want to come in and do that project, right? right? Well, I'm just going to fix their homework a little bit. And then they get the A, they don't get the education. Right. Well, I think that pain is one of the greatest catalysts to growth. Pain is actually meant... For growth, I mean, biologically speaking, we talk about growing pains, correct? It hurts, physically hurts when you're growing. And to cheat somebody of pain, it's truly cheating them. You know, again, I keep going back to David Nagel because he's just such a wonderful man with so much wisdom. He once said to me, your most powerful day is your most painful day. And it couldn't be more true. And as parents, if we steal those moments from our children, we are leaving them, when we're gone, somebody that cannot handle anything, cannot handle, is not resilient to cope. It's funny, and it's not. We think so much alike, Sarah, and it's not shocking that I was thinking the same thing. Um, actually driving in here today uh, about the growing pains and what we have to do. It is a natural part of life. For instance, even now, I jokingly said I've gone back to the gym and I'm having growing pains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm having the pains. Sore. I'm, I'm sore, but that's the part of it that you need to be. 
right? Because you're working through what you, the things that you need to work through to get to the result that you need to get to. And if you cheat yourself, it's just what you did. You cheated yourself. And when you cheat your children, yeah, you are stealing an adulthood from them mm-hmm. because now they're going to have to learn at adulthood what they should have learned as a child. Yes. And they're not going to be set up for success. Our whole goal for our children should be to set them up for a successful adulthood mm-hmm. and successful life and living your child's life, which is what you do when you prevent them from, from failing in school, when you prevent them from learning from their mistakes is simply setting them up to an entitlement that the world is going to catch them when it's not. You know, the other part of it is whether it's your child or somebody you dearly care about and want to take care of, every one of us has a journey in this life. Yeah. And that journey is meant to produce our legacy, our message, the individual unique contribution that only you and only you can provide to this world. And when you get involved and you disrupt that journey in order to keep somebody safe, you've basically intervened into their universal message they're supposed to provide here. Yeah. And no, no place is it more harmful, I think, than when parents do it with their children. Well, absolutely. And then it also intermeshes, not just in that child's journey, but also in that parent's journey. Yes. Right. Because the parent has now given up on their own journey, which may include parenthood, Mm -hmm. but that shouldn't always be the sole focus because when you're sole living, is to protect your child, is to, oh, I have to run my child's backpack to him. He forgot it at school. Mm -hmm. Not only is that your journey throughout the day, that is your journey in life, you're stealing their journey, right? And you mentioned David Nagel. I listen to The Happiness Lab. Yeah. And it is one of my favorite podcasts. They did a recent one on happy parent, happy child. Mm -hmm. Speaking specifically about when you give up your being to only be a parent, that you are becoming not only miserable, but you're stilling that you're reliving a childhood through your children. Well, you're giving them a shell of a person and living through vicariously through your children. This is such an important point because pain is a relative thing. Not everybody identifies pain as the same thing as pain. Mm-hmm. So this is the part where we really interrupt the child's experience with life is when we project our own definition of pain onto our mm-hmm. child. How am, how do I know that, you know, for instance, the pain that I would have felt receiving a big B on a science project is going to be the same kind of pain in my son's life, right? It might yeah. not be. How can I say that? Not sitting at the cool kids table at the cafeteria is going to have the same emotional meaning for my child as it might have had for another child because it actually did not have any pain for me, to be very honest. (laughs) I I was just fine with that. But you get the idea. It's that projecting of the parent's pain. You know, a fact is a fact. A circumstance is a circumstance. A situation is it just is. But what it means, we're the ones responsible for its meaning. Oh, this was horrible, or this was painful, or this was so tragic. 
how is that? Is that true? Do we know that's true? Is that just what you, the meaning you attach to it? And you see this even in very young children. You see this in toddlers. And often they will fall or they'll bump into anything. And they'll turn to their parents really quickly, right? To see their reaction, to know what their reaction, the child's reaction should be. And if your reaction is running over, oh, my poor baby, well, they're going to start bawling. If your reaction is not even to acknowledge it, they may just get up and walk it off. And I have to tell you, as a child of Persian parents, especially a Persian mom, this is going against so much cultural programming. (laughs) So much. So I'll, I'll tell you guys what I do when my child falls. This isn't even like intentional. It's literally muscle memory. The first thing I do when my child falls is I learned this from my mom as a child. I hit myself in the head. I know. What? I know. Okay. Sham laughs so hard every time. And I literally say a little phrase in Farsi. I'm not going to repeat it here, <laughs> but it's literally like, you know, like cursing yourself because that's, how much of potential helicopter parents or overparenting, overmothering we can do in my culture. Your child goes to bed hungry. You are a terrible mother. It does not matter that your child does not eat anything and they are the pickiest eater in the world. You're just a terrible mother. If your child did not get the good grades, you're just terrible because you did not stay up all night with them to make sure that they studied, right? Mm -hmm. Your child falls. No matter how much they insisted on their suicide attempt, <laughs> uh, funny, not funny. Um, you should hit yourself in the head because you're, you know, you should feel the pain of your child. That is the intermeshing, right, of your identity with your child. Yes. Because that is, you have stopped being a person and you have only now become a parent. Everything about you is the parent. And I will tell you for a long time, my identity was really tied into two things, my job and being a mom. Yeah. And those were my two identities. And I went through a period of time when my daughter was in her twenties where I felt very rejected by her. Mm. And it was so completely devastating to me as a person. Yeah. Because not only was she rejecting, you know, certain parts, she was rejecting me. She was rejecting everything about me. That's what I was internalizing. Right. And it's extraordinarily unhealthy. Yes. To have that be, you can have that part of your identity. But when you take parenthood as your whole identity, what happens when the child grows up, yes. right? Because it is natural to say, I don't want to spend every day all day with right. you, mom. I'm in my 20s. It, it is a very detrimental part. You almost mourn the children growing up. You do. And trying to infantile them. Yes. Right? That's a word that I'm going to practice saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to, to keep them younger than they actually are, which is detrimental to their growth. Right, which is one of the things that we're supposed to be doing is is helping them grow into adulthood. And the other thing that I think that happens when we only identify to them as a mother is they don't learn as if you're raising a daughter, you know, if they're raising a son, you can see it in the opposite side. They don't learn how to feel as a woman. They don't right. see they see an idea of womanhood. But they don't see the real womanhood, right? They don't see how you really experience 
love and pain and laughter because their whole experience of you is mom. Well, this goes back again to the whole beginning of this, which was the servant leadership. The key to servant leadership is making the individual you're responsible to lead feel a full sense of ownership over their successes and over their development. Absolutely. Feeling like I did that. I have gaining that self-confidence, right? And that's your goal as their leader. Not saying we, not even saying we did that. You did that, yeah. right? And you can do it again. That's the ultimate goal. Now, what happens with what you're describing and happens very much in my culture is first we overmother like crazy. And I'm not above this yet. I'm working on myself. I still tell my children, I wish you would go back in my stomach. So we have a, I have a lot of work to do on myself in this area, but you know, let's keep preaching. <laughs> so first we overparent, we overfeed, we take too much, way too much responsibility for their consequences, feel a lot of parental guilt. But then when they start growing into young adults, now we put all this pressure on them. You have to become a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. And when they get the results, we constantly remind them, this is our results. Right. This is our results. This is our achievements. And, you know, I helped, We the whole family helped get you there. Uh, I'm not saying all Middle Eastern families are like this. Absolutely not. But it's, it's a stereotype for sure. And it comes from some places, right? Instead of giving them a sense, full sense of ownership over everything they experienced and their successes and their wins. And I think that's what we're truly cheating them off because then that self-confidence, that muscle that has grown with, I set a goal, I go after it, and then I can count on myself to achieve it. Next, set a goal, go after it, can count on myself to achieve it versus Mom and dad, man, I'd be in the gutter without them. Who am I without them? Right. I'm lost without them. Exactly. Because they kept the pain from you. Yes. Right. And, and you said something very powerful, something I absolutely believe in. And I've heard other people say too, is through the pain is where you grow. Yes. Right. That the most powerful moments are your most painful mm. moments. And those painful moments may not be brought on by yourself. Right. Your child may be experiencing pain from an outside source. And sometimes it's from you. Yeah. Right. There's a book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Okay. Okay. Love this book. I'm just now listening to it. And I'm I'm going through this part where she has to tell her children that they're going to have a divorce. Mm. Her and her husband are going to go through a divorce. And one of the things that she said really resonated with me was such a powerful parenting moment. She said, I'm not going to lie. This is going to suck. This is going to be one of our most painful moments in your life. But we're going to get through it. Mm. And you're going to get through it. And just acknowledging that this is going to hurt. Yes. But we're going to be able to overcome it. And I think too many times when people are telling their children, you know, they're going through a divorce or they're going to get a divorce. They don't acknowledge the pain that the children are going to feel and say, I'm sorry that this pain is going to cause, but I can't not cause this pain. This is what's best for the family. Yes. That's so powerful. Amazing. Untamed. Untamed by Glennon, G-L-E-N-N-O-N, Doyle. 
And I highly recommend it for anybody who's going through any kind of major life changes on how to communicate with your children. Wonderful. Thank you, Shauna. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Happily Ever After Divorce Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, go to atlantadivorcelawgroup.com forward slash resources. Thank you.